Welcome to the ITSP Magazine Podcast Network. You are about to listen to the Soulful CXO Podcast with Dr. Rebecca Wynn. These conversations focus on the intersection of technology, business, and humanity, exploring how these three areas impact each other. Dr. Wynn interviews guests, including business leaders, entrepreneurs, and experts in various fields to share insights and experiences on cybersecurity, risk management, and leadership. The podcast aims to provide a fresh perspective on how technology can be leveraged to create positive change in the world. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Soulful CXO. I'm your host, Dr. Rebecca Wynn. We are pleased to have with us today, Randy Levin. Randy is the award-winning CEO of RSL Technology Associates and Senior White House Advisor on Technology. She is an innovative and transformable business and technology executive with proven experience managing large-scale divisions. Former leadership roles include CIO NASA Jet Propulsion Laboratory, JPL, CIO CTO City of Los Angeles, CIO Casting Crew, CIO Forest Lawn, VPIT NBC Universal, VPIT Walt Disney Company, and VPIT LA Gear. Significant achievements include leading JPL's Information Technology Division and supporting a successful rover and helicopter landing on Mars while working at home during COVID-19, and being the first public and private sector CTO or CIO to implement cloud-based email, Google Applications, Gmail for Enterprise. Additionally, she advocates for women in technology, supports middle school girls STEM initiatives, and is a highly sought after strategist, speaker, writer, mentor, and board member. Randy, my friend, it's so great to see you again. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Dr. Rebecca. I'm really, really pleased to be here today. Thank you. You have a fascinating background, and I am a musician as well, so I have to ask you, how did you go from studying to be a professional French horn player to then leading a team that did all the great work at NASA over on Mars? Well, interestingly enough, when I was, uh, I started playing the French horn in the third grade, and I loved music, just loved it. And I got a music major. Uh, yeah, I was a music major in school, in college. And my freshman year, my horn professor sat me down and said, Randy, there are five major symphonies in the country. They take four French horns. How long do you want to live with your parents? And I went, ah. you know, and those days we didn't have cell phones. So I ran back to the dorm and called my mother and said, I love you, but I don't want to live with you the rest of my life. And uh, I think I need to do something else. And my mother's been very progressive my whole life. She still is. And she said, you know, I heard computers were the up and coming thing. Bing, bang, boom, take a class, see if you like it. And it was like a duck to water. And so I started in the, they didn't have computer science then. It was management information systems. And that was it. I played the French horn on the side, but, you know, I morphed and my career began um, with that degree. And then my first job programming on the Apache helicopter for Hughes Helicopters. How did you work your way from being a programmer, as you just said, on helicopters to start getting CTOs and CIO roles? Well, you know, each job I took strategically. So that's one thing that I would like to share with, you know, with your audience. And that is to really be be very planful 
of your next assignment and your next and your next to make sure that you're always trying to move up and learning new things. So I, I think what I did is I went to Corn Ferry after that in their IT department and I took on a small project. Then I went to, I was actually in New York and I went to Goldman Sachs and worked there in small project teams. And then my big leap was going into consulting where my first job was at Price Waterhouse before the Coopers. And I started managing IT projects, smaller to larger to larger. And I, I think the experience of being an in-house IT expert and also doing consulting for organizations really bolstered my knowledge of how to manage organizations, how to manage projects. And that allowed me to take my first real, you know, VP job, which was the um, VP of IT at LA Gear, the sneaker company. So it's been very, you know, very planful and very strategic and taking each position and learning as much as I could or can even still, you know, because everything changes every day, um, learning and absorbing and then trying to apply that to the next position. Did you find challenges in being in those powerful roles as being a woman? I know I can find that challenging quite a bit. One, just getting them to open the door and giving me an interview and an opportunity. But you've done it successfully, what, six or eight different companies. Well, I want to tell you the first the first story was um, when I graduated. You know, in college, they ro- say they're rolling out the red carpet for you. They want all these computer graduates. Well, that was not my that was not what happened to me. And I sent out, I don't know, 200 or 250 paper resumes then. Um, and I had a call this one company I interviewed with eight times before they finally made me a job offer. And he said, if you're going to be this persistent, you know, you're going to be a great employee. And so part of it is getting a break, right? Someone has to give you a break. And this man was delightful. And I worked with him with a couple of years and that was it. Um, it is a challenge. It is a challenge to be a woman in a male-dominated field. And unfortunately, here we sit in 20, the end of 2023, and it pretty much still is the same. I mean, we have now 18 to 20% women college graduates in computer science, which makes no sense, honestly, because, you know, that that amount was the same as in, I think, 1983. And then we we dipped down and we've been dipping down ever since. So it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. What I would say is that I have developed strategies for dealing with this as I have gone through my various positions. I grew up in New York, so maybe I, I've been tough anyway. <laughs> and there's a, you know, there's that tough side to me anyway. But um, I really always felt that my performance should be dictated and dictating where I, you know, where I go next and how I'm seen. And I've always been very honest and very candid and also cared very much about my employees. And I've kind of let that take the lead. I certainly have not morphed into a man. I have seen some of my women colleagues do that and adapt male behaviors. And I don't advocate for that. I don't teach women that. It's it's not it's not how I think that we all need to be. We have we're we're females and we have different characteristics, but I also think those characteristics are serving us very, very well. They have served us well during the pandemic because we're 
very empathetic group as a group. Not everybody, but most women. I also think the nurturing capability is really important because that helps us also develop our people. And that's one of the big reasons that CIOs exist. Certainly not the only reason, but a main reason. You said that you developed some strategies to actually help you navigate um, at times that minefield. Can you, my minefield was my words, not your words. Can you share some of those strategies with us? Sure, sure. Um, I always wanted to make sure that I communicated clearly what I was doing and what the department was doing. So that was very deliberate. And I developed my own communication strategies for who I was communicating to, how, with, if, when, what, all of that. And that is really important because people don't really know generally what an IT department does, you know, and what, what accomplishments not only I was making, but the team was making. So I'd say a big, a big strategy there is communication and actively planning your communication. Uh, a second strategy is really to work and to build the relationships with your peers and your colleagues. Because IT alone, technology alone, you can't implement by yourself. And so developing those partnerships and really building strong relationships is really key to you know, your success as, a, as somebody in tech. I think that's really important. So those are two of the things that, that I was doing and continue to do. When you were developing your communication strategy, did you just kind of figure out yourself? Did you go ahead and see what other maybe CIOs and like industries were doing? Did you, or did you partner with the marketing team or sales team, client services team to help you out? How did you do that? It's like, no, we do not understand the words that are coming out of your mouth. So how did you learn to do that more effectively in each company that you've worked for? The first time I really deliberately did this when it was when I was a CTO for the city of Los Angeles. And I realized once I took that job that I'd have to go present to the city council and that was on television. And so, and that was live. And so we didn't have a public information officer. Several departments do like the LAPD fire department, but I didn't have one. And I figured I need to learn um, and develop a communication strategy so that I can go in front of city council and be articulate and say what the issues are. And when I met with the mayor, made sure that he understood what it is we were doing and working on. Same thing with my peers, same thing with the vendors who I consider partners. So um, no, there was nobody to really learn from. And unfortunately, it was trial by fire. But you know what? In a way, it was good because it really crystallized for me what needs to be done in terms of people understanding the kind of work that we do and more importantly, the impact of the work that we are doing. So today is a little easier because internet is a lot more fruition. You can look and see what someone posted yesterday. And so you can get a feel, maybe at least what their personal brand is. But how do you suggest that people do that more effectively? Because a lot of times it's a fast pace. You don't have necessarily always weeks or months to prepare for some of those meetings. True, if there is a board meeting that happens every quarter, you do go ahead and you can do practices and stuff like that. But how can you suggest that we bridge that gap as quickly as possible with the tools that are available today? 
I mean, certainly the tools are there. What What's not there is the impetus to do the communication, you know, and understanding who your audience is. And I think those things are things, are, are skill sets that need to be developed in um, all kinds of project managers, department managers, because communication is a skill. It isn't just, it just happens. And you have to be very thoughtful before you put out these communications. And you you can see today what happens. People will put stuff out on the internet and then, and then somebody reacts to it. And then it's like, oh, I didn't mean to say that. That's not what I meant. And 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 so I think that you have to take a step back and think, what what am I trying to communicate? And how is it going to be received? And I think a lot of times now people just don't think and they just get on there and da 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 boom, tweet, and then there it goes. And then something that they didn't intend to be um, viral does go viral that way. So I think that um, people need to think about how they're communicating and taking a step back take a breath, you know, think about it before it comes out of their mouth, whether it's on TV, whether it's on the internet, whether it's on a podcast, whether it's, you know, a tweet, whatever it is. I think people need to need to really think about what they're trying to communicate. And the second thing is a lot of technical people still communicate in techno babble. And to be honest, most of the population at least half doesn't understand what the techno babble is. And so I think people need to remember what it was like when they were a kid or when they were in school about just regular communication so that people understand what they're trying to say. Now, that's always a, a challenge. And that really ties into when you were talking about really having strong, you know, stakeholder relationships. But I'm always interested in how people go about doing that. So how have you worked through that or how have you how would you suggest we work through that to try and be as effective as possible when sometimes we don't have 90 days or 100 days to go ahead and establish those relationships? Sometimes you're lucky it seems like you get 90 seconds when you start a new company before they're trying to get you to be effective. I know it used to be that you had the 90 days to just go and listen you know, and before you develop a strategy or a plan or, you know, anything. And and now it's like, what have you done for me lately in the last one day that you've been at our organization? So I think that um, there's ways to give your opinions when asked for, particularly in the beginning, when you don't have adequate information and just caveat it and say, based on what I know right now, this is what my opinion would be. Um, however, I don't know yet the factors and the constraints and, you know, the culture really of this organization that might impact my recommendation. Um, And so I think if you caveat it that way, people understand you've been there five days. There's no way you can know what somebody else knows, but really drawing on your own experience too, I think helps because you can say something like, I have seen this at my last five jobs and this is the way we've handled it. I'm not sure if that would work here, but I just want to throw that out as a potential. I liked how you you stated that. And I'll be honest, I haven't always been sensitive about saying this is the way I've seen it before, work in similar organizations or maybe sectors. I'm re- revising what you said a little bit. But instead of saying this is how I did it my last job and we did it this way, which even though you have good intentions, it doesn't come off well. 
Can you expound a little bit about how to be more effective communicator when you do see that the company that you're with might not have the best process or procedure in place to get to the objective that they want to get to? And you want to help them make a change, but at the same time, not seem insensitive the way you say it. Yes, it's uh, by the nature of technology, we're always introducing change. It's all the time, whether it's a new release, whether it's a new application, you know, um, we're always introducing change. And one of the things I do teach my women in my in my business is really to explain why. And it sounds so simple. But people don't tell people why they are doing something, why the decision was made to do blah. And I see it over and over and over again in many leaders across various sectors. And I I think uh, somehow either I think they assume people know why or the organization doesn't want to be forthcoming with why the decisions are being made. And I, I I usually tend to think it's the former. It's just people don't really, again, take the time to think through how is this communication going to be received? And so they forget about saying why the decision was made to do whatever it was made to do. And I I really try and explain and be as transparent as possible. I mean, as an executive, you can't be transparent all the time because there are just things you can't discuss. But I think to the extent that you can be transparent and explain to people the thought processes that went into the decision, they may not like the decision, but at least they understood why uh, something was decided upon and that there is some logic, not just that it was pulled out of, you know, pulled out of a hat and had no, had no thought behind it. So I think that the communication of, you know, not just what's happening when all of that, but the why behind it, is really important because then people understand this is why the decision was made. Okay. I don't love it, but I get it. And they move on rather than just sitting there going, wow, I really don't even understand any of this. I don't know why they came to this decision. I don't know why, you know, we're doing this right now. Makes no sense. You know, I think that what that tends to do is get the organization spinning and you don't want them spinning, you want them producing. How would you counsel people who are in organizations that want that that tactic the tactical, you know, fix um first? And I think that's wrong. You're just going ahead and if it's a dike and it's just kind of water sleeping through, you just keep putting bubble gum or your fingers blocking that and you're not thinking of why is it happening. You know, true, don't get me wrong, you do have to stop the water coming in, but you're never asking about why is it happening and then what is the bigger picture to get it resolved, right? That's more of the strategic. Um, and that's one place that I always like to start when I start a new company is I like to look and see what is the strategic imperative of the company? What's the strategic imperative of the department? So then what we put in tactically actually is a good return on efficiency on the investment. But a lot of companies want to go like, what do we just need to buy to get or fix? And so it's the how, <laughs> but they are missing the why. How do you suggest that the people out there, whether CIOs, CTOs, or maybe they're CISOs or someone else like that, work with that? Because it's I think that's part of the reasons why a lot of companies maybe get breached now. They're just looking for the solution of the day. That's I think you're absolutely right. I, I, I think you're spot on. 
most of the organizations that I have been involved with, I develop a strategic information technology plan. And I really think that that is quite important. And it's a skill set, again, that needs to be developed in, in people. And that really ties together the organization's vision, strategy, within the technology strategy. And then you can go execute upon that. And it's a strategy. It changes and plans change, but at least you have an overall direction. Um, certainly, if you're in an emergency, you go for the tactical fix so that you can get out of your emergency situation. But hopefully that's not the norm. Those are more of the exceptions. So that you should be able to, to plan and do it at a strategic level. Now, does an organization always want to fund the strategic direction? No, they don't. And that's happened numerous times in my career. But then it's incumbent upon people like myself, you, Rebecca, to just bring up the pros and cons of those approaches. And, you know, who knows? It might break again. You know, there might be other the other factors there that may cause it to break again. Um, but at least you've put it out there. At least they're aware. So if it happens again, you know, or something else breaks, then at least you've put it on the record that, you know, this is what you were doing and that there were risks associated with that approach. Yeah, I've seen that quite a bit in the job descriptions that have come out this whole past year. I know on LinkedIn, there's a group of us who actually capture the ones like, what are they talking about? Where you see whether it's CISOs, CIOs, or CTOs, especially CISOs right now, where I'm seeing we've really shifted to the left. They, they almost want the person who puts the asset tag on a laptop or desktop. And I'm not knocking that that job, but that person is not a chief information security officer, in my opinion, or or someone who goes ahead and they say, can you go ahead and you design the network? But also, by the way, we want you to rubber stamp a budget. I don't believe that's really what a CTO is either. Why do you think it seems like our profession in technology is being degraded quite a bit? And I think that's that's why a lot of us are finding a challenge staying in or changing jobs because of that. What, what's your viewpoints on that? I think because of the consumerization of technology has happened, they assume, you know, um, organizational leaders that the central IT organization maybe isn't as relevant. You know, that in some cases, the engineers that do blah know more than the central IT organization. I've seen that a number of times now, and that isn't the case. Um, it's it's a little bit of an enigma because, you know what, the CFO is the CFO, and there's always going to be a CFO. Why isn't that true with a CIO or a CISO or a CTO? I mean, now we've morphed with so many titles. We've got chief digital officer, chief transformation officer, chief digital information technology. I mean, there's so many titles out there, you know, because of the fact, I think, that they don't completely believe in the CIO or the CTO or the CISO that they have in place. And you know, that's very problematic. That's very problematic. I think that's why some of this has been spawned. Not all of it. But basically, a CIO should be in charge of digital transformation. That's what we do when we put in new technology. It's not yet a new thing. It's just branded a different way. So I think that 
has also caused some of the dilution of this, um, which is unfortunate because there's a lot of good people out there that are CIOs and CISOs and, you know, all of that stuff. And we should be respected for the professionals that we are in those roles. I think another thing that is missing the companies is really being honest with whether you're looking at a CTO, CIO, or a CISO, what really is that roadmap need to be for the next 18 months or, or, or 24 months? Do you need a builder? Are you looking for someone to go ahead and go out there and buy some technology, go ahead and get some good people in place? But then it may be that's their job is done. Maybe then you need someone who's going to come in, who's going to be, now we need to train up the team. Now we need to make sure it's efficient and things like that. Then you have like someone who's maintained, there's different titles depending on who you're looking at. But part of it is, I don't think they're really honest about what stage they are in the maturity model of that IT organization and then getting the right people in place. I mean, if you get somebody who's a CTO, if I'm reporting to CTO, CIO, who's solely a builder, they're not going to want someone to come in who's going to be a coach and mentor who really wants to go ahead and make a team that is efficient, who can win the IT Super Bowl year after year because they're not in the same place. And I think that's some of the economy that's coming across too. Is that what you see as well? Or is it just me and my viewpoint? I, I think you're correct. I think you're definitely correct. There are some you know, professionals in our field that can do a lot of all of that. There are some that can't. And so we have to look at it too and say, what is that individual's capabilities? You know, are they just a builder or can they do strategy and implementation? Or are they just better in the firefighting mode and you always want to put that person in that role? But I also think the organization from the top has to be honest too and say where they are or what they want in the CIO or CTO role. Do they really want somebody to do transformation? Do they really want to change the organization? Um, there are, inter it's inter interesting to me when you meet some you know, senior executives and they say they want transformation, but you're in the organization and you start to do that and they say, well, I really didn't want that much transformation or I really didn't want transformation at all, or I didn't, you know, I didn't want that much change. I think thinking through that with the executive leader is really, really important. So you know, ahead of time, what is your aptitude for change? How much change can, you know, do you think this organization can take? Some can take a lot, some can't take much at all, and some has to be very measured. But every new technology makes some kind of change. And, you know, it's interesting on your on your iPhone or your phone, there's change all the time. New apps get pushed out, new functions, features, and nobody seems to care if we can adapt to that change as consumers. We just do. You know, some take more advantage of it than others, but that's the way it goes. But in organizations, it's different because people get used to doing things a certain way over a long period of time. And you have that institutional knowledge. Um, you have process knowledge, systems knowledge, all of that. So really just exploring how much change do we really think that this is going to inflict, you know, if you want to call it that, on the organization? Or is it something that it's really not going to be a big deal and they'll just adapt to it? Um, and then 
finally, you've got all different kinds of age groups in the workforce today, all sorts of everything. And so, you know, by definition, we think that the the Gen Zers will just take it and run with it. And potentially some of the, you know, older workers may not. But I think that's also a stereotype because I don't necessarily think that's true. You can get some Gen Zers that don't adapt to the change as well. You can get some older workers that do adapt to the change very well. But I think you have to think through all those strategies. That's a good point. And I don't want to be a myth and ask any quick question. I know that's on every female who's listening out there. Why do you think that we are still struggling to to go ahead and become CIOs or CTOs or, or CISOs? I know that is a big challenge. And even when we get those interviews, a lot of times it's like, you're not technical enough. You're like, wait a minute, you didn't even ask me any technical questions. Why do you think we still struggle with being able to be seen and heard and get those great positions? I think until we have more women CEOs in executive positions, we're going to continue to see this. I also think that some of those people do not pay it forward. We do have in the women's culture, like you and me, who are advocates for women and want to help, you know, and teach and develop and do all of that. And then you have some that have gotten there, you know, and we've all had to scrape by and claw our way in some cases, you know, up the up the ladder, and they don't want to pay it forward. And so I think that it's important that women that are in these leadership positions foster the other people in their organizations at the lower levels and do mentorship, do development, do training, you know, do all of those things to foster an inclusion, you know, of these women in, in their organization. Um, I also will say that when you look at what happens in middle school, particularly, that is where the continental divide occurs and either the, the girls want to go into STEM or they want to be a social influencer. We're not getting them into, into computer science. And even with all the programs we have, Girls Who Code, you know, all of those things, it's still a struggle. So we've got a pipeline problem still getting into the field. And then we have a problem once women are in, keeping them, allowing them to stay and thrive We have now 50% of women by age 35 that are dropping out of the field of technology. To me, that's an epidemic. Randy, unfortunately, our time has totally flown by. What is the best way for people to reach out to you for speaking engagements and to learn more about your company? I'm on LinkedIn, Randy Levin. You'll see the Women in Tech Accelerator, which are my programs for women in tech. I also have a website, randylevin.com. So either way, there's a contact form on there and I'd love to hear from you. Randy, thank you so much for being on the show. You are a soulful CXO. Thank you. So are you. Thank you for having me. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Soulful CXO Podcast with Dr. Rebecca Wynn, part of the ITSP Magazine Podcast Network. If you learned something new and this conversation made you think, then add this show to your favorite podcast player. Subscribe to the ITSP Magazine YouTube channel and share the ITSP Magazine Podcast Network with your friends, family, and colleagues. 
If you represent a company and wish to connect your brand to our conversations and our audience, visit itspmagazine.com to learn how to sponsor one or more of our shows. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey.